So, here's what I think. I think we like things clear. I think we like things spelled out. What's the weather going to be today? What time is the next train? How much does it cost? What do I owe? How much will I be paid? Is this the one? Simply, we like to know. We sometimes ask questions until we make people crazy trying to nail things down. If anyone has turned on the television or read any of the news reports over the last couple of weeks, all the buzz is about the Iowa caucus and who's up in the polls and who's down. One begins to think, especially on cable shows, if there is nothing else besides this and reports of consumer spending over the Christmas holidays. Was it up? Was it down? Are we ahead? Are we behind? What happened to Christmas? All of this, of course, is looking to answer the real question most people want to know. What is next? What does the future hold? In many ways, in all these things, we do indeed seek the future. If I were to ask now about some of the questions on people's minds today, I have a suspicion most of them would be about the future. And the writers of Ecclesiastes, some think it was Solomon, some think it was not, seems to have had enough with the questions of those seeking to know the future. For the writer, it's simple. There's a time for this, and there's a time for that. Considering the historical period in which it was written, even the phrases that make me wince a bit, acknowledging that there is a time to kill and a time to heal, as much as I hope we are moving away from an acceptance of killing to resolve any problems or as a way of living, for the time in which this was written, wars, invasions, conquests, those things were all part of the landscape. Funny. Still sounds like it's part of the landscape. But still, what made a book like Ecclesiastes part of the Old Testament? How did it get in there? Now, I've read a little bit on this, and the scholars are divided. Some sort of themselves, they say, well, it's either this or it's either that, just like Ecclesiastes is written. It was Solomon, it wasn't Solomon. Solomon wrote it, no he didn't, later editors changed it. It wasn't in the language of Solomon's time, it has a later language, so it can't be. So forth and back and forth. And still, even if it did come from Solomon, as it sounds like it might have, I guess it should be part of the canon just in case it really was from Solomon. I mean, after all, Solomon is Solomon, or he's not. But it's in the canon. So with all of this, I sort of feel like the lack of definition in this is an invitation to enter into the text ourselves. Let's go there. And let's see if there is some linkage with today, and especially this being part of the readings on this first Sunday of Christmas. Why here in the lectionary? At first, these words, in my hearing, are almost an admonition almost as if spoken to a petulant child. Sort of the answer I would get sometimes when I'd say, why, why? You know what the answer I got? What was the answer you got when you said why? You ever get because? That was what I got, because. Why, because. What? But that's not an answer, because. 
Solomon, whoever was the author, almost sounds like that. I've had enough of you people. Here, it's either this or it's that. This is the way it is. Why are things this way, Solomon? Why the great joy in birth of a child and then the sorrow when they die? Why can't we just live forever? Or why even bother at all? Why are we fighting one minute and then caring for each other the next? Why fight at all? Or why even bother to heal? On and on. From the writer's perspective, across a less complicated landscape of information and news than we have today, across a timeline that certainly moved more slowly than the one in which we keep time today, it must have just been very clear. There's a time to be born, there's a time to die, there's a time to kill, there's a time to heal. Still, to me, it seems like the author has this sort of touch of almost condensation or superiority, condescension, excuse me. Sort of like saying to those complaining, sit down, sit down, you're rocking the boat, sit down. God has given you people work to keep busy. You're incapable of knowing what God has done or will do. So be happy, enjoy yourselves as best you can, and take pleasure in your toil. Get to work. Sounds almost like the narrator is saying, they're just not too bright, you know? Let them work and toil and be satisfied, and we, the royalty and the upper class, will be supported by their toil. More, even. We should be supported by their toil. After all, we're the monarchs. Sounds like the common folk of the time were the original 99 percenters. What do you think? Let's fast forward for a moment to 1927. Fritz Lang, the German expressionist, directs the classic silent science fiction film, the first one, really, called Metropolis. It depicts a world 100 years hence in which the upper class above ground was supported by the whole population of the workers and slaves below the ground, toiling for the benefit of the entitled until the revolt came. It's a terrific movie, and it says a lot about then and now. 99 percenters, the revolting crowd. You know, the revolt does come back then or now. It always does. It has to. It's been written about, predicted, documented over and over. Sounds a little Ecclesiastes, don't you? A time for revolt, a time for none. But even revolutions change. Imagine one that lifts us beyond under the sun to the place that the author of Ecclesiastes closes the book with, quote, the end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God, keep God's commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. Like so much of the Old Testament, it is a didactic, that is a teaching, direction from the ruler's perspective, written in this sense of instruction, commands, ways to life, sometimes calling, at least for me in reading it, the people to almost resignation. This is it. Deal with it. It's the same feeling of fatalism, I sense, when someone says, ah, it is what it is. Honestly, for all the people for whom that makes sense, I still don't get it. But back to Ecclesiastes. 
As I said, written just a couple hundred years before the birth of Jesus, it is as if there were to be any justice in the world, anything in this world besides a time to live and a time to die, that God needed to make a move. And it was a move that has changed everything, set a new order that reversed everything. The first shall be first was changed to the last shall be first. The greatest among you shall be the greatest among you to the least among you shall be the greatest among you. And with the greatest of commandments, the one that says, love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might and love one another as you love yourself. Put down your swords. Yep, this revolution is far from a time to love and a time to hate. This is a redistribution of the power of the universe delivered to us by God in the form of a child that we were and continue to be trusted to care for. In other words, we are trusted to care for love in this world. And in so doing, we accept Jesus. In so doing, we accept God in the many ways that God of love, the God of love, is known. And with that trust comes a whole new way of being. I have a question for you. Do you think that if someone has trust in you, they have the faith in you to trust them? How about if God has trust in you? Do you think if God has trust in you that God has faith in you to trust God? That for me is the central shift from resignation to acceptance. But it's not easy. We just heard the words of this morning's gospel read to us by Cynthia from Matthew. Come on folks. Jesus was right there with the disciples and they still didn't get it. So Jesus elevated his rhetoric and his narrative, making the point about how when you take care of the least among you, you are taking care of him. You are loving him. You are trusting him. You are accepting him and God and spirit. And when you don't, when you ignore others, you may as well just go back to the old ways. Go ahead. Go back to the hands of those who will oppress and marginalize you. And get that little bit of comfort that you want and the surety that they promise. And you'll be like animals led to slaughter, not knowing better. Heaven, for you, forget about it. Now, I have a feeling that Jesus had a way of making his point and getting through. And we know he could stir things up with some pretty strong language, even hyperbole, such as when he said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, when Peter was out of line. He didn't really think Peter was Satan. But sometimes he got a little excited. There is so much here, so much to talk about in these two readings this morning, this time. But for today, for today the point, at least one of those points, is that in a few minutes we're going to come to this table. And we will share in the gifts upon the table we will take from the table as we should, for it is a source of God's gifts to us in as many ways 
as those gifts are uncountable. But what do we bring? What do we bring to the table? There have been several times in my life where I needed to make a choice about going in one direction or the other. I knew the way I believed I should take. You know, that deep down feeling, this is the way I should go. But I also knew what I had. The security, and the comfort, and the predictability of the situation I was in. That I had even worked for. But I had learned that God trusted me. God loved me. But the question that now begged in action in situations like that was whether or not I trusted and loved God. Did I have the faith to place everything, literally and figuratively, into God's hands? Trusting God, loving in God, and leaving the outcome to God. Honestly, every time I've had to get to that point, it's been a struggle. It's never been an easy thing for me. But each time I have done this, it has been an exhilarating experience in that I took real actions based on my acceptance of faith in God. <clears throat> I don't know if that strikes you the way it strikes me. But there have been clear times in my life where I have actually, I could see that if I do this, I am trusting in God. I'm taking a step based on my faith. And I'm not talking about walking the walk on a regular basis, which we all try to do. But it was one of those things where this is really, this is the real thing. I'm really doing this. And did each situation turn out as I expected? Nope. Was each outcome exactly what I needed to grow in God's presence? Yeah. And each of these spiritual experiences where I really let go were like finding stones beneath my feet to help me cross a river or a boundary of some kind. They were there. I just had to step out. And today that journey continues as I try to walk faithfully enough so the stones somehow turn into a path albeit a path that will always bring risks, primarily the risk of trusting, believing, loving, and accepting God enough to take action, let go of what I want to hold on to, and knowing that I, in turn, am loved and cared for by God. And there's only one reason to do this as far as I can see. So that by helping others, by sharing the message we have been given to share, the good news, that we can see just how much every step we take is already in the presence of God. Any way in which we raise our conscious contact with God, to me, is a good thing. So with that in mind, as we come to this table today, loved and trusted by God, seeking a love and a trust in God that moves us to caring for each other. Bring whatever you can to this table. But if you can, and I think you can, bring forgiveness. On this first day of the new year, on this first Sunday in Christmas, as uncomfortable as this may make 
some of us feel. Bring forgiveness for those who you think of as I say these words. Bring forgiveness if only as a prayer that those you consider forgiving be given the love and the presence that you find in your life of God. The love, the baby Jesus, that we have been given to care for in each person we meet. And if you do, you can tell me. If you do, I think not only will you find release, but you will find acceptance of another of the amazing gifts you have been given by God, <clears throat> the gift of forgiveness to another. May it be so now in these days of, <clears throat> excuse me, in these days of our Lord Jesus the Christ, in these ways of the God you know, whatever the names of that God may be, in these days in the new revolution of love and trust and acceptance. Amen.